Hi, I'm Deb Hunter, and welcome to All Things Tudor, the podcast that blows the dust off the history books and brings the world of the Tudors roaring back to life. Each episode will bring you awesome guests and topics, stories, and revelations. The power, the sex, the scandals, the romance, and the ruthlessness. So join me, and together we'll pull back the curtain and discover the real lives of the Tudors. Hi, this is All Things Tudor. I'm Deb Hunter, and today I'm a huge fangirl of Professor Susan Doran, and she's here with us today. How are you today, Sue? I'm fine, but very hot. We're in the middle of a heat wave. Well, I would tell you to drink iced tea, but I don't think that's going to go over (laughs) very well, is it? I have a lot of water by my side. (laughs) There you go. Well, today we're here to discuss the Boleyn's Scandalous Family, which debuted on PBS Sunday, August 28th. And in the series, the brilliant Tudor author and academic Professor Doran is one of the featured historians. Is that correct, Sue? That's right. Yes, it was a one day's filming in Yarnton Manor, which is a very cold place, exactly the opposite of today's weather. And it was for three series. I don't know how much I was actually on, but it took a long time to finish the filming. Let's find out more. Let's just pretend someone has never heard of you. How would you describe yourself, your love of Tudor history, your research into the era, your academic career is stellar? And I personally want to know more about you, and I'm sure our audience does as well. Well, thank you. I think my academic career is really an example of serendipity. I never intended to be an academic, certainly not an academic in Oxford. My first love was teaching. I had a brilliant teacher while I was at school and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. I went to Oxford University and didn't experience actually any teaching. You had to learn by osmosis. And I rather wanted to have a more interventionist effect on students. And so when I left university, I went into school teaching. I taught students between the ages of 16 and 18 for a number of years. And I was doing my PhD while I was teaching. That's pretty unusual. And I did it reasonably quickly, given the circumstances. And then after that, I was actually working part time as a teacher so I could do my PhD. And then after that, I worked full time as a teacher and I miss the writing. I miss the research and the writing and realised I needed to make time to do both. I also needed time for something else, which was my family, because I had two young children as well as a husband. So I took on a job which was in a college of higher education, which is sort of like one of your liberal arts colleges. And I did have time there to read, write and teach. And it was the ideal career for me for a long time. And it was there that I wrote My second book, I actually managed to write my first book, believe it or not, in the school holidays. But my second book was a monograph and it was called Monarchy and Matrimony. And it was about 
the matrimonial negotiations of Elizabeth I. Everybody had assumed that Elizabeth wanted to be a virgin queen from the moment she was born, practically. And what I tried to show was that, in fact, there was a strong possibility that she might marry. And the failure of the marriage negotiations had more to do with religion and politics than to do with feminist theory or psychological damage or the usual explanations for Elizabeth's non-marriage. And after that, I got the bug and wanted to do more and more research. And for various reasons, the college I was at was doing badly financially. And I said I would leave. I knew I could get lots of freelance work. And I did. I got freelance work working with Greenwich National Maritime Museum to put on an exhibition on Elizabeth I. And then the most amazing serendipity happened. I was invited to apply for a lectureship at, at Oxford University. And as they say, the rest is history. I've spent the rest of my life teaching at Oxford, which is very different today from how it was when I was a student here, and doing research, working on exhibitions, obviously writing, which I love, and also taking care of my family. Most of my children have grown up and they have children of their own. So, yeah, I really have been extraordinarily lucky in my career. And so have we, because of your work, you've dedicated your life to this. How many books have you written? Oh, goodness, I don't count. I've write different types of books. I think this is probably the best way to explain. I write for people at school in England, people who are doing their A-levels, what you might call lightweight textbooks. I write for scholars and I write for the general readership. I edit collections of essays, or at least I have. I'm probably going to do some more. And I've edited catalogues. So a, a lot of different genres, as you might say. No fiction, not yet anyway. I suppose if you added them all up, there'd be possibly between 16 and 20. I haven't done so, but something like that. And then there's essays and articles, which are also for the academic readership. We could talk about this all day. I'm completely fascinated with you and your work. But let's talk about the Boleyns and how you got involved with the series and the part you play. Could you tell us more about that? Well, yes. I was first asked if I would have sort of an interview, as it were, to help them with their research. I wasn't the only one. I didn't know that because I often get asked to answer questions for different television programs. They asked me, I think, for two reasons. One is that I had edited a catalogue and been involved in part with the curation of an exhibition that had been held at the British Library on Henry VIII. Secondly, I have written quite a bit about the foreign policy of Henry VIII in terms of Tudor foreign policy, the sort of title of the books. So I think it was because of those two interests and publications that I was asked to check out what I knew and make a contribution perhaps and perhaps correct any errors. So one of the producers or research, I'm not quite sure what her position was to be honest, but anyway, a delightful woman came to my house in Oxford and we sat in the conservatory because I think it was around COVID time. So we sat a long way away from each other. She was at one end of my table and I was at the other. And she basically took me through the production, what they were planning to do, the different episodes, there were going to be three, 
discussed the format, the aim. And then she asked me a lot of questions. And of course, I answered them as best I could. And then I was asked to appear on the programme, which I was delighted by, except, as I say, it was incredibly cold that winter. And we were in a very cold place, despite a roaring fire in another room where I was, was pretty icy. Well, how did you research your part in the series? I did it a number of ways. I always start with what historians have written. And I read, in fact, two or three theses that had been written about either the Berlins or about the Howards or related to the divorce which I thought would help me. I mean, like everybody else, I'd read a lot about Anne Boleyn and I'd written quite a bit about Henry VIII, but I didn't know really very much about Thomas. And I was very fortunate that Lauren Mackay had done a book and also written a thesis on it. And so had somebody else actually written a thesis. So I read all that first and then I picked out from the online sources from the letters and papers of Henry VIII, some of the letters and reports that were in there that I would add to my knowledge. I mean, it wasn't as if I was coming to it completely blind because I'd obviously read quite a lot of Chapuis dispatches and letters of Henry before. But this was really a kind of more in-depth job because most of my research at that time was not actually on Henry VIII. It wasn't actually even on Elizabeth. I've been working on James I in recent years. So it was taking me back and something I enjoyed doing. That's really how I tackled the kind of re-immersion into the early Tudors. Did they give you a part to play or one person to research? How did this work for you? To some extent, I thought I was going to have one part, but it seemed to me that it was more scattergun, really. I was being asked a lot of different questions initially for the early part of the programme about Thomas Boleyn. And really, that was quite new to me. And I found that the most interesting because I think I probably came to Thomas Boleyn in the same way most of your listeners will and people who watch the programme that here was a man who was very ambitious for himself and his children and was very keen to push them into either being the lover of the king or married to the king. I had not realised at all how able a man he was and that in fact, as far as Anne was concerned, he was really not that keen on the romance between Anne and Henry. He saw it could be dangerous. He feared that Anne could, of course, be discarded as her sister was. So it came across me in a very different way. And I think that was the most interesting part, which is what I did initially. And then afterwards, I went on to look, and it was again through Thomas Boleyn's eyes, I suppose, at the diplomacy, because he was part of the diplomatic efforts, even before the annulment. He was part of the diplomatic team of Henry VIII. And then afterwards, of course, he also was playing a role, not a big role, but a role in trying to acquire the annulment from the Pope. So I suppose I was closest to Thomas Boleyn in terms of my role, but it took me as I say, into lots of different areas. I mean, I was being asked to about Elizabeth I, which in some ways was not surprising. And also about Henry VIII himself and some of the 
policies that he had in particular in relation to France and to the empire. Absolutely fascinating. The Boleyns, a scandalous family, an epic tale of hubris and ambition. They're all here, Thomas Boleyn and his three children, Mary, Anne and George. Elizabeth I also makes an appearance. The show premieres on PBS on Sundays, August 28th, September 4th and September 11th. Also available on the PBS video app. Special thanks go to Georgia Public Broadcasting for their support of all things Tudor. If you learned one thing while doing this, what was the one thing you learned that surprised you? Well, as I said, I think the biggest surprise was the character of Thomas Boleyn. I learned, for example, that he was a linguist. I learned that he was a very keen and able jouster. But I also learned that his charm extended to really making a very fine impression on Margaret, for example, the regent in Flanders. They had a very, you know, sort of almost a playful relationship at times. So that, I think, did surprise me. I'm sure it didn't surprise some of the others who were taking part in the programme and who had actually written about or knew more about Thomas. But it did come as a surprise for me. I think the more mainstream material about Anne was no surprise. I'm sure it will be to many of your listeners, but I've done really quite a lot of research on that over the years. So there was nothing there that sort of rang new bells, as it were. I think one thing else I did learn, and I should have known it, and I feel embarrassed admitting that I didn't know it. And that is that when Elizabeth, now Queen of England in 1579, I think, it was either 78 or 9, when she went to Norwich on progress, she actually sat in the cathedral there overlooking her grandfather's tomb or the Boleyn tomb. And that really did come as something of a surprise. I just hadn't appreciated that it had been located there and that Elizabeth would have had eyeline sight of it when she was in the cathedral. That really is fascinating. Just on a side with nothing to do with the series, how do you think Thomas handled the two years after his children died? Do you think it affected him personally? It's hard for us to know a lot, but it had to be weird. Two of his children were executed within two days of each other. How does a human being handle such trauma? I agree with you. I think that there was almost certainly a personal trauma for him and his wife. I think that what he aimed to do was just save the family. You know, that was his job. He had to make sure that the family survived. There were, there was granddaughter, there were nieces and nephews. I think that's what he put his mind to. And of course, that he himself survived. I think he went into defence mode. That's true. Can you tell us what you're currently working on? Yes, I'd be delighted to. I'm finishing a book, very close to finishing, I'm doing all the boring bits at the moment, footnotes and bibliography, not to be recommended really for a summer. But the book is called Regime Change, from 1603 when Elizabeth died to 1612 when Prince Henry and also Robert Cecil, who was the leading Elizabethan who survived into James's reign, when they died. So the book is really looking at two questions, trying to answer them. The first is, how did James I get on the throne? 
After all, he was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, who had been beheaded. Nobody was quite sure about his religion. And he was a foreigner. So how did he make it on the throne? And the second question, which takes up more of the book, is what changed? Did anything change? Is it a regime change? Do we see changes in political culture, in the culture of the court? Do we see a different foreign policy? Or does James revert to many of the policies that Elizabeth had successfully carried through during her years? How did he deal with the problems at the legacy that he inherited? These are the sorts of issues that I'm looking at in the book. But at the same time, I'm telling a story. In fact, I'm telling lots of stories. I'm telling the story of the gunpowder plot. I'm talking about all the different people who either survived into James's reign or new people who came to the fore during James's reign, such as Henry Howard, Earl of Northampton, and many others. So it's a kind of mixture of trying to answer really important historical questions, as well as telling the kinds of stories I think that I enjoy reading and I hope my readers do. When can we expect this to be published? Well, it'll be handed in to Oxford University Press, I should think in October. So next year, certainly next year. I'd love to have you come back. Love to do that. Once it's <laughs> out there. So more. if you could pencil me in. Yeah. Thank you. Because these are all things that the All Things Tutor Group, we talk about them every single day. So you're more than welcome to come back. I do have a question. Mary Boleyn gets brought up a lot. In your research, did you run across anything about Mary? About Mary Boleyn? Yes. yes. I mean, one of the key questions about Mary Boleyn is whether her elder child, I think the daughter was the older one, of Henry VIII or her husband. And the jury is still out on that. But other than that, I mean, the only point of interest for me about Mary and her progeny was how close Elizabeth was to her first cousins, that she surrounded herself with them before she was queen. And also afterwards, Henry Hunsdon, the two Catherine Careys were very close to Elizabeth. One Catherine was the sister of Henry and the other one was the daughter. So uh, Elizabeth felt herself to be a Boleyn, I think. And this was shown in her close relationships with her dead aunt. But other than that, you know, Mary is an enigmatic character. You know, there's a story that she was sent back from France because she had behaved in an unbecoming way, but none of us know what it was or whether it was a just criticism of her. We're not even 100% certain. I think we're 97%, but we're not even 100% certain that she was Henry's mistress. There's so little written about it. But... Who knows, maybe in the future, some more information will come to light. That's true. We're learning new things every day, aren't we? Yeah. Well, a huge thank you from All Things Tudor to Professor Doran for joining in today. The Blends, A Scandalous Family, aired on PBS in the U.S. beginning August 28th with future shows in the series on August 4th and September 11th. And thank you for joining us. For our listeners, thanks for making the magic happen. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and have a great day, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you very much for inviting me. 
You've been listening to All Things Tudor. My thanks go to listeners, my husband, and my team. If you like what you hear, leave a review, follow wherever you get your podcast, and share with your friends to help others find the show. Join the All Things Tudor Facebook community to connect with tens of thousands of Tudor history lovers. You can also connect with me across social media at the Deb ATL. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all later.